You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I invite you to take your Bible this morning and look at 1 Kings chapter 10. And before we get there, eventually we will get there. We'll start probably in 1 Kings chapter 8 this morning. Different crowd this morning. Lots of folks are sick. Some guests and visitors here today. We're glad you've joined us. Just a question. How many folks out there this morning, you are ice cream lovers? You love ice cream. Can I see your hands? Oh, okay. All right. Wonderful. Um, I'm not a big ice cream lover, although I think that the best ice cream ever made is peanut butter chocolate ice cream. Right? Okay, right. If you don't like that, something's wrong with you. Okay. Certainly. It's, it's the best. And for you ice cream lovers, I'm not, I don't know if you're aware of the Klondike Bar. Do you remember the Klondike? It's still out, I guess. Klondike Bar? You know Klondike Bars? How many folks do you love Klondike Bars? Oh, okay, sorry. Um, <clears throat> there used to be an advertisement. Maybe they still use this phrase, but the advertisement was this. What would you do for a Klondike Bar? Right? And the idea was that they were so good that you would do anything for a Klondike bar. And one of the advertisements I remember was that I would cluck like a chicken for a Klondike bar. Now, I don't know if you'd do that or not. I think that's actually weird. (laughs) And maybe because it's a Klondike bar and I don't even like them. But the idea was that this is so good that you'd be willing to do anything for it. I'm not interested in Klondike bars this morning, believe it or not. I'm interested in truth. And I wonder this morning, what are you willing to do for truth? For truth. I heard an evangelist years ago talking about how to approach people, and one of the first questions he would ever ask anyone was this. If what you believed was wrong, would you want to know? Think about that. If what you believe to be true right now is wrong, would you want to know? And here's the sad truth of it. For many of us, we don't want to know. Don't confuse me with fact. Don't confuse me with truth. I've got my way. I've got my mindset. That's it. That's a scary place to be. Because in our lives, we all believe things that aren't true. And I don't know about you, but I do want truth. And for many of us, even this idea of truth, we want to have truth and know truth, but how serious are we about pursuing truth and practicing truth? It's a big deal. And so this morning, I'm going to work along this line on what are you willing to do for truth? And we'll find that in the story this morning. Before we get to our main text in 1 Kings chapter 10, I want you to know that we find ourselves right at the zenith of Solomon's power. I mean, from chapters 1 to 10, everything Solomon does, everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, he has it all. And from chapters 6 to 9, we find the building of the temple. It is glorious. It is unbelievable. It is uh, full of splendor. And then we have the dedication of the temple. It's an amazing thing that when Solomon dedicates this temple, 
The Bible says that the presence of the Lord comes down and he fills the holy place and his presence is a cloud. So much so that the high priests have to leave. They can't stay there because God's presence has shown up. That cloud reminds us that God has revealed himself and yet he's concealed. There are things about our God that we cannot know. They've not been revealed to us. But his glory fills that place. And then Solomon dedicates the temple by a prayer. And I want you to hear the prayer this morning in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse number 41. Solomon says, moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. For they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm. When he shall come and pray toward this house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all people of the earth might know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel and that they may know that this house which I have built it is called by thy name. And so Solomon dedicates this glorious temple. God's spirit shows up, and he prays this prayer. God, as the stranger comes, as the Gentile comes, because they will hear of your great name, they will hear of your fame, they will long for your glory. Lord, may that be the case. That's his prayer. Now look with me, if you would at 1 Kings chapter 10 this morning. And we see already the beginning of that answer to Solomon's prayer. 1 Kings 10, verse number 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was, to, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom, how be it? I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes have seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee in the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice." And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold of Ophrah brought it from Ophrah great plenty of algum trees 
and precious stones, and the king made of the algum trees pillars for the house of the Lord, and for the king's house harps also the psalteries for singers. There came no such algum trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. So you get the picture. Here Solomon's fame goes abroad. The queen of the south, Queen Sheba, comes, and she sees uh, Solomon. She has a royal meeting with him, and she says, well, I have never seen anything like this. The Bible says it takes her breath away. And as we hear her response, I don't know about you, but my idea is, is she exaggerating? I, I mean, what she says and, and how she says it, certainly it can't be true. I'm old enough now to see this play out in my own life. Uh, I have seen parents of young children when they're two years old say, Pastor, she's a genius. Pastor, this boy, I mean, he is brilliant. Two years old. And I've lived long enough now to know that ain't the truth. Those kids, they ain't geniuses, all right? And so there is this sense that sometimes people exaggerate and we're tempted to think that Sheba here sees Solomon, she's just overtaken, and she goes on. But the narrator helps us here because he goes on in verses 14 through 29 and says, listen, what she said, get a load of this. There's more. And you can check it out later. He then begins to talk about the the full body shields, 200 body shields that Solomon made for his palace. They were plated with gold weighing about 7 pounds of gold, 200 of them. And then there are, I think, 300 smaller shields, gold-plated, about 4 pounds of gold. He goes on to explain that in Solomon's palace, his throne is uh, inlaid with ivory, overlaid with gold. The steps ascending up to his throne, have, they have lions on each side, and you've never seen anything like this. He talks about the storage houses of Solomon. He goes on and on and on. He says Solomon had exotic pets. He had peacocks and monkeys. I don't know about you, but when we were kids in the 70s, my uncle had a pet monkey. It was the oddest thing in the world because no one had monkeys. Now, he didn't have a chimp. I think a chimp can tear your face off. He had a spider monkey in a cage. And I remember as a young boy thinking, this is the coolest thing ever. But the spider monkey would bite you, and so it wasn't really that cool. But Solomon had it all. He had all of it. And then he finishes off and says, man, his exports, his imports, Solomon's kingdom was unbelievable. And so let's talk about the Queen of Sheba and her statement this morning and ask some questions of her. First off, who is she? Who is the Queen of Sheba? Well, here's the fact of the matter. Queen, the Queen of Sheba, and we don't know exactly what her name is. There's speculation who she is. But we know this. She was a Gentile woman. She was outside of the covenant community. She was from her own land with her own gods, Right? A matter of fact, she was roughly a thousand miles below Jerusalem. That's where she lived in what is today we would know it as modern day Yemen in South Arabia. She was a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. 
She had great influence. She gets this royal hearing with Solomon. She had great wealth. I mean, the list goes on about the fact that she's loaded. She's got camels, spices, gold, jewels. And that's who she is. And not only that, this woman is a seeker of truth. Because that's why she came. She wanted to know if what she had seen and heard could possibly be true. And she says, I've heard of his fame, I've heard of his kingdom, but there's no way that this could be true. She had probably talked to fishermen her whole whole life. You know, they catch a minnow and all of a sudden it's Moby Dick, right? How big was that fish? Well, it was, right, fishermen? That's why we take a picture and we hold the fish out like this. They always look bigger, just so that you know, musky fishermen. That's why they do that, right? He says, this can't be true. So here is a Gentile woman a thousand miles away, coming to seek truth. So what is it that she was hearing? Well, look at verse 1 of our text, 1 Kings chapter 10. And it says, she heard of the fame of Solomon. She heard of Solomon's fame, his prosperity, his reign, and his wisdom. But watch what it says in verse 1, and don't miss this. She heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. That word concerning, because of, in relationship to, in connection with. And so she's hearing of Solomon's fame, but understand this morning, Solomon's fame is connected with the name of Yahweh. There's no way around it. There is no great King Solomon. There is no wisdom of Solomon. There is no wealth of Solomon. There is no fame of Solomon outside of the name of the Lord. And this is what she is hearing. So, Here's a question, and maybe you don't ask it, maybe you don't care, but I asked. How does a woman, a thousand miles away in this time, 900 or so B.C., how does she hear of the fame of Solomon? I I mean, remember, this is the day before, like me on Facebook. Solomon didn't have his own page. Follow me on Twitter. right? There wasn't a prime time special about Solomon. How in the world does this queen of the south, a thousand miles away, hear of Solomon's splendor. I think Alexander White helps us here. He says that one of Solomon's ships must have been in that area on at least one occasion. And those ships, manned by Israelites, would have come into port, would have gone through the streets, and they would have sung the songs of Zion. And they would have spoke about Solomon, their king, and his reign, and his rule, and their God, the Lord, the true God, Jehovah, and his righteousness. And the queen of Sheba would have heard these things. She had her own dominion. She had her own deities, but they were nothing like Solomon's. Nothing. And she hears this from these servants of Solomon, and it piques her attention and her interest. This cannot be true. I must find out for myself. So here's what happens. She comes. To see Solomon. Verse 1 says that she comes with hard questions. Riddles, enigmas, right? Those those riddles that, you know, how do you figure this thing out? She came with that, and she came with hard questions. Look at verse number 2. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels and spices, goes on and on. And it says, she came to Solomon, and she communed with him of all that was in her Heart. Every longing, every desire, every question, not just hard questions, but heart questions. 
Questions you ask yourself when no one else is around. Questions you ask yourself in the silence of the night. Questions you ask yourself when your world is spinning out of control. She comes to Solomon, and she asks them all. So she comes, she asks, and then she hears. Verse 3 tells us, he answered all of them. All of them. Have you ever gone to someone with a problem? Well, this happened. We've been sick for like, I don't know, like three years it seems like now. Right? It's this, we, were, we were out the other day, and I was into my second week of the sickness, and someone at Walmart said, hey, some good news for you. I've had this. It only lasts eight weeks. After we strangled her, <coughs> eight weeks. So Kim went to emerge the other day, and the doctor comes to see her, and i got to tell you, he was the most unhelpful doctor imaginable. Imaginable. I mean, you couldn't, you'd ask questions like, well, I don't know. I don't know. He says, you should get a chest x-ray and we should listen to you. I said, that's great. And then he doesn't do it. And I said, can you at least listen now? Oh, yeah, I could do that. Right? He was unhelpful. And you go and you ask these questions and there's no help. You've been there. You've been to the ER in Chatham. <laughs> You know how that goes. No offense, but sometimes that's the way it is. And she comes to Solomon. It's like, my heart is longing. I don't know. I've got these questions. And he answers every one of them. Could you imagine? Could you imagine a pastor, a counselor, a doctor like that, that when you ask the longing of your heart that you would tell no one about? This king answers all of her questions. It's an amazing thing. So she comes, she asks, she hears, she sees. Verses 4 and 5, they say that Solomon took her on a royal tour. You're going to go behind the scenes now. You need to see it all. And look what he shows her. She sees his wisdom, his house, the spread of his table, his servants, even their fashion. Verse 5 what they're dressed like. Uh, And then he says, he shows her the ascent by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Now listen to me. I I don't think I'm making a stretch here, especially as we take this in context. But I was captured by that, that one portion of the verse where it says, she saw his ascent up into the house of the Lord. Think about that. Here's a Gentile queen who comes a thousand miles away full of hard questions and hard questions, and Solomon answers everything in her heart, and then she sees all of these things, and then Solomon says, let me show you the temple. The temple. Remember we told the temple about this wide from, from that wall to here, about as long as a platform to the washrooms, and as high as, um, this, this, this is funny, we talked about this a long time ago, about how high this building was, because the temple was probably 45 feet high, and I thought the ceiling here was 30 25 feet. So all these guys after church about three weeks, four weeks ago now, maybe longer, they get out tape measures. And they're in the back there. That ain't no 25 feet. You know, it's 16 or whatever. It's only 16 feet, right, or 15 feet. Okay, so sorry about that. So the temple was three times higher than our ceiling. But magnificent. Yeah, guys are jerks, man. Real jerks. (laughs) That ain't no 25 feet, right? Okay, Whatever. Mr. Perfect. Um, <coughs> no, it's good. It's all, I'm, I'm over it now. Um, but he sees the temple. It's magnificent. 
I mean, it's glory, it's majesty. But now watch. This Gentile woman comes into a temple that's overladen with gold. She sees the instruments of the temple, you know, the outer court, the inner court. She can't go to the holiest holies. She can't go in there. Solomon says, you can't go in there. Well, why can't I go in there? Because that's where the high priest goes once a year to make an atonement for sin. And Solomon would have to speak of sin, redemption, the innocent dying for the guilty. I mean, it's all over the tabernacle. You can't miss it. And I have to tell you, honestly, I think she's so overwhelmed and her spirit's away from her because she sees the magnitude of the righteousness of the God of Israel and it blows her away. And you say, I think you're stretching it, maybe. But listen to what she says in verse number 9 of our text. After she hears and sees, here's what a Gentile woman says. Blessed be the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah. Coming from a Gentile woman's lips. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, and set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord, Yahweh, loved Israel. And she talks about then Solomon's justice and his righteousness. And so she comes, she asks, she sees, right? And then the Bible says her breath is taken away. She says the half has not been told me. I thought it was an exaggeration. I thought there's no way. And when I came and I listened, I heard, I saw, the half has not been told. Look at verse number 10. She then gives. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold. I don't know if we fathom how much that is. Do you know how much that is? A lot. It's a lot. I think it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. It's mind-blowing, actually. You should look it up. And it fluctuates because of the price of gold, but it's like hundreds of millions of dollars she gives him. And the spices that they've never seen so much since then and all of the abundance of the jewels that came from the Queen of Sheba. And I thought this was interesting. After all of this, look at verse number 13. And King Solomon gave unto the Queen of Sheba all her desire. Isn't that an amazing thing? She comes with questions. She comes with riddles. She wants answers. She sees it. Her breath is taken away by it. She then gives of her very best, and then Solomon, the king, gives her all of her desires. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Everything that she desired, she received from the king. So you say this morning, hey, great entertainment value, really appreciate that, interesting woman, fantastic, but not much serious relevance with a queen who lived almost 3,000 years ago somewhere near Yemen. Well, I would beg to differ this morning. Take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 12, if you would, this morning. And it's an amazing account. You've heard one of these phrases at least recently, but you'll hear two more this morning. Matthew chapter 12. The Lord Jesus Christ is in conflict with the religious crowd. And it's amazing. He is actually healing people on the Sabbath day. And they're bent out of shape about it. Now think about that. 
There are people who are struggling in infirmities. They need relief. And on Saturday, Jesus heals them, and the Pharisees are all bent out of shape because he breaks the Sabbath law in their eyes. And Jesus would have none of it. And here's what he says in verse number 6, after dealing with them. And, and, and Jesus is so flagrant with what he does. He, he knows they're watching. He knows they're asking questions. And he heals people just to heal them, to make the point. And here's what he says in verse number 6. He says, there is one greater than the temple here. You religious folks are all bent out of shape about your rules and your regulations and how you've twisted the law, but I'm telling you something. There is one standing here right now who is greater than the temple. And the connection here is the priesthood. He talks about the priest defiling the temple because they work on Saturday. It's not a big deal. So he's greater than the priesthood. So he does this for a little bit, heals some more people. They're still upset. And then later on in the chapter, these guys want a sign. So think about this. Jesus has been healing people. I mean, lots of people. They say, well, we need a sign. (laughs) Okay. And Jesus says, you're not getting one. You're an adulterous generation. The only sign you're getting is a sign of Jonah the prophet. Three days, right, in the heart of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days. And look what he says then in verse number 41. He says, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. He said, you're not getting anything. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn you because they repented at a prophet, and I'm telling you, one greater than the prophets are here. And then the one that you're familiar with, the very next verse, verse 42. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And so three times Jesus says, the greatest institutions in all of Israel, prophet, priest, and king, I want you to know something. I am greater than all of them combined. And then he uses the Queen of Sheba, who we just read about this morning. And he says to this group of Pharisees who believe they were privileged. They were the separated ones. They were the religious ones. They were the children of Abraham. Somehow in their privilege, it negated their responsibilities to see the truth of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're in trouble. Because because the Queen of the South has something to say to you. It's funny. Sometimes we think that privilege, our own privilege, negates our responsibilities. I read a story this week of Rose Kennedy, who was the mother of former President John F. Kennedy. And she would ride around in her limousine, her chauffeured limousine. Her butler's name was Frank Saunders. And she would read the morning papers. And when she was done with the morning papers, she would roll down her window and chuck the papers outside of the car. Just And her limo driver, her chauffeur, said, Mrs. Kennedy, we're going to be in trouble. They're going to pull us over. We're going to get a ticket. You cannot litter like that. And she would say over and over again, Oh, Frank, they know who we are. Oh, they know who we are. Sometimes religious folks have that attitude. I know who we are. Listen to me this morning. Here's what Jesus Christ says about this queen of the south. She will be your prosecutor. Here is a Gentile woman 
of less privilege and less truth than the Pharisee. And I would say less privilege and truth of you and I this morning. She came from a pagan land. And yet she travels a thousand miles. Just so that you know, in your mind, a thousand miles is like the distance from Chatham to Orlando. Somewhere around there. Maybe give or take a hundred miles. A thousand miles, right? Not by Amtrak, not a flight, but by camels. I don't know how fast camels go, but I have to guess this was more than a three-day trip. And she comes to hear the truth of Solomon. And Jesus says, this Gentile woman with less truth and less privilege one day will stand in judgment of your righteousness that you think you have and point a finger and condemn you because you will not bow the knee to Christ. There are some of you here this morning, listen to me. You have truth and you have privilege. You hear it all the time. And you reject Christ. Can I say to you this morning, there is coming a day when the Queen of the South will rise up and point her finger at you and condemn you. She traveled a thousand miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than, wisdom, a greater than Solomon is here. And for the rest of us who know Christ, we're indifferent toward him. We're indifferent toward the truth. And the queen of Sheba will rise up and prosecute us as well. She recognized the beauty and the glory and the wisdom of King Solomon. And I'm telling you, we serve a greater than Solomon. She will be your prosecutor. Not only this, the queen of Sheba is the precursor to the global worship of Christ. You remember Solomon's prayer? Lord, when the stranger comes, because they will come. They will hear of your beauty and your glory and your majesty. My friend, if you're here today without Christ, listen to me. The truth is you should come to Christ this morning and quit with your religion, your self-righteousness, your good works, whatever your excuse is, because there is a hell that is real. But you know what? You should come to Christ today because he's worthy. He's worthy. He is the king. And in his beauty and splendor, he is worthy for us to bow the knee to him. And she's a precursor of this global worship. Solomon prayed, God, when they hear, the Gentiles will come. And they started coming. They did. It wasn't just Sheba. Hiram comes and then others. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 2, 2 to 3, he speaks this prophecy some almost 300 years after Solomon's prayer. And here's what he says. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Isaiah is saying the same thing. Listen, Solomon's prayer, yep, God, they're coming. This is it. The Gentiles will come to the house of the Lord. Look at this in Isaiah 60, verse 3. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together. They come to thee. 
Thy son shall come from afar, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then, shall, then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And we see that happening. The international fame of Solomon anticipated the attractive power of Christ. She is a precursor of what was to come. May I say, she was a precursor of us sitting here today? Gentiles? Any Jewish descent here this morning? Children of Abraham? No. Solomon's prayer, this prophecy, Sheba comes, Hiram comes, the wise men come with their incense and gold, and we come today because the attractiveness of Jesus Christ. She sees the global worship of Christ for the future. This morning, understand something. Jesus Christ is king of the Jews, but he's also king of the Arabs, and he's king of the Asians, and he's king of the Africans, and he's king of the North Americans, and he is king of kings and lords of lords. And there's coming a day when he will rule and reign forever, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And she, she is this precursor of this global worship of our Savior. Not only that, she is a pursuer of truth a thousand miles by way of camel, a stinky camel caravan. I don't know, sometimes we sanitize stuff, animals stink, right? Dog lovers, that dog gets wet, that dog stinks. Cats, they just stink. I won't even start with cats who go into a litter box and then they climb on your cabinets and on your counters and on your tables. That's another message, all right? But animals, camels stink, deserts hot. Dry, arid, sweaty, a thousand miles. From Orlando to Chatham, she travels for the truth. How much more should God's people desire, pursue, and practice truth? Truth. Not just from King Solomon but from the one who is the way, the truth, the life. How little he is sought after and admired by his own people. As a matter of fact, you and I make lots of excuses why we cannot pursue truth. I'm tired. Is there anybody here who's not tired? Not not this morning. Everyone this morning is tired, I can tell. We're always tired. I'm tired. I'm busy. Uh, I'm playing a game. I've got this entertainment. I love solitaire, and three hours later, I realize I'm not getting that time back. We pursue everything and everyone, but we don't pursue truth. Truth. And can I tell you something this morning? Access for us is so, so easy. You don't have to jump on a camel. And travel a thousand miles, you have to open your Bible. Open your Bible or your phone or an app 
We have access to the Word of God. We have freedom this morning. No one worried coming to church that someone's going to come through and arrest us for our worship today, which happens to the majority of believers in countries where they're not as friendly. We have security. We have freedom. We have access to the Word. We have We have an infinite amount of Bible studies and aids at our fingertips. We have the church of Jesus Christ, the pillar and ground of the truth. And let me just stop for a second. Uh, If you are one of those people who, who, who you say, I really love Jesus, really, really love Jesus, ah, I can't deal with the church. Let me help you this morning. Okay, If, if you were to come to me and say, Rick, I really like you. But your wife, mm, can't stand her. Now, that's not the way it works in our house. It's the other way. Really like Kim, you I can't stand. And that's understandable. I get that, that you have every reason. If you don't like Kim, there's something wrong with you. But if you came to me and said, Rick, I really like you. I admire you. I adore you. I love you. You're the greatest. Your wife I can't stand. Can I tell you something? We no longer have a relationship. Right? Because this is a package deal. She'd like to get away, but she's not going anywhere. It's mine, right? This is my wife. We are one flesh. I love her. And if you don't love her, I have a hard time with you, right? So why is it that we think we can say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I really love you. I really, really, really love you. But your church, I ain't going. Can't stand those people. How dare we say that about Christ's bride? The woman he died for. He shed his blood for the church. And you cannot separate these two things. Don't be all down on the church. Does the church have its problems? Yes, we have our problems. But we are the beautiful bride of Christ. And how we live and grow and learn together in community is his plan and his program. And so we have the truth, the pillar and ground She pursued truth. We must pursue truth. Number four, she provides her best. Her best. She gives of her royal treasure. And again, I don't think we can fathom how much this was. Not just the spices, the gold. This morning, believer, are you giving Christ your best? Now, let me make a confession to you this morning. I'm sure you don't operate like this, but here's how I operate. If someone comes to my door and they're doing a food drive, like for the food bank or whatever, say, hey, we're just collecting canned goods. Okay, I, I got you. I go up to the pantry, the cupboard, and you know what I look for? The canned peas. Right? Because no one should eat canned peas. They're terrible. They're nasty and disgusting. And so in my generosity, I grab the canned peas for the food bank and give them something of a gift. Now, you wouldn't do that, right? That's just me. Okay. I'm, I know I'm terrible. That is terrible. But what you're saying is, here are my leftovers. You people behind the tarp, you folks out, you can eat these peas. I ain't eating these peas. No one should eat these peas, but you are worthy of them. Right? Those are leftovers. And how many times we come to Christ, and what we do is we give him our canned peas. We give him our leftovers. 
Like, yeah, 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 I'll do this, 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 and then if I have something left of my time, my talents, my treasures, my abilities, my gifts, then, Jesus, you can have this. Aren't you so pleased? And I would say to you, just like the kids at my door with the canned peas, he is not pleased at all. Can I tell you something? Our king is worthy of your best. And if your best this morning is small and insignificant and not much in your eyes, can I tell you something about our king? He takes those little things like a cruise of oil and a small lunch of some bread and fishes, and he multiplies them for his glory. This is our Jesus. Nothing is wasted in his hands. And then notice along this idea of giving her best that King Solomon gives her all from his royal bounty. And those of you who know Christ, you know how this works. It doesn't matter what you give him. <laughs> he doesn't need anything from you. Nothing. Right? He's not hungry. He's not thirsty. He's not poor. His, the universe is his. There's not a square inch of this universe where the risen Christ does not say, it's all mine. But what he does then is he gives you himself, which is everything. Everything. You have it. And so she came and she gave what she got. That's the way it is with our Lord. And then she praises the king for his wisdom, his prosperity, his fame. She praises him that he answered every longing of her heart. She praises him for his justice and righteousness. How much more Christ, who has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. How much more Christ, who is the wisdom of God and the power of God. How much more our high priest, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmity, that always, forever, makes intercession for you and I. How much more our defender, our helper of our weakness. Clement of Rome said this, through him... Fix our gaze on the heights of heaven. Through him, we see the reflection of his faultlessness and lofty countenance. Through him, the eyes of our hearts are opened. Through him, our foolish and darkened understanding um, blossoms toward the light. And through him, the master will that we should taste of the incarnate knowledge. It's through him. It's all through him. And so, this morning, I don't care what you do with the Klondike bar. Eat it, throw it away, give it to the food drive. Don't care. But I do care. What are you willing to do with truth? This morning, what are you willing to do with the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord and Savior of the universe? The one who died, was buried, and rose again the third day. My friend, there is no hope without Christ. What are you willing to do to pursue the truth? And for the believer, what are we willing to do? You know, we think so many things are needful. You remember the story of Martha and Mary? Martha's running all around. She's serving everybody. She's taking care of this and that. And she says, Lord, tell Mary to help me. And the Lord says, no. Martha, Martha, settle down. She has chosen the better thing. And it will not be taken away from her. What was the better thing? It was sitting at the feet of Christ and gaining knowledge and wisdom and soaking in his beauty.
And so this morning, what will you do for truth? Now, maybe you're here this morning and say, hey, if what I believe is wrong, I'm good with that. That's fine. Stay in your ignorance and stay in your lie. That's your prerogative. But if you're willing to pursue truth, we can pursue truth. What are you willing to do? Listen, this morning, don't have to travel a 1,000 miles. How about just get out of bed? I'm serious. Just get out of bed. I heard a Navy SEAL just give a speech the other day to a commencement class for graduation. He said, the greatest advice I could give you is when you wake up in the morning, make your bed. A Navy SEAL. Decorate it, Navy SEAL. Make your bed. Why? Because you start the day off right, you do a project, you do it well. When you come home, your bed's made no matter how the day went. It's the small things. Can I tell you, for some of you, the truth is, get out of bed. Get up in the morning and make your bed. Get up in the morning and pray. Get up in the morning and take a passage of Scripture and read. Start your day right. Get out of bed. Open the Word. Open the Word. Christian people, there's, there's almost this biblical... We're biblically illiterate. We have everything at our fingertips, and yet we don't even read the word for ourselves. Open the book. I don't understand all of it. Right. Well, how about this? How about you read, and what you understand, you do. That might really help all of us. Read the word. Participate in the body of Christ. Don't just neglect the church. When you diss the church, you diss the Savior. I don't like those people. Can I tell you? They don't like you either. Right? This is the truth. We're all flawed human beings that we have our issues. What the church does is it says, listen, we take all of these diverse people, we learned about that this morning, diverse people, and we become one in Jesus Christ. And we come here to find truth, to to challenge, to provoke one another, to hear the word of God, to live it out in our midst. Pray. Pray. We don't pray. We we don't pray. You know why the early church had power? You know why the early church had influence? It's because they gave themselves to the word and to prayer. And we don't. And meditate. What fills our minds? My mind, I can think of the dumbest stuff. I mean, I'll be, and that's dumbest stuff. is like, and then I think about it for hours. It's really dumb. Our minds are weird like that. We must meditate on the truth of the word of God. This woman, this Gentile woman, was willing to travel a thousand miles to hear of the splendor and wisdom of Solomon. Would to God this morning that his people would be willing to get out of bed, open the Bible, read, come to church, be involved in community, take some time to meditate and be quiet so we can seek truth and apply truth to our life because a greater than Solomon is here. He's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning.